This week's guest is Dave Ramsey. This is a guy who built his entire empire on helping others get out of debt. So we do the interview at Ramsey's headquarters in Nashville, Tennessee. And what really struck me about his entire staff, they were so gracious and so generous. He says that generosity all stems from his faith, which he found as an adult. And prior to finding his faith, he calls himself a hell-raising, beer-drinking hillbilly. On this episode, we're going to talk to Dave about what keeps him grounded and how his faith informs how he handles his money. So here we are with Dave Ramsey in his radio studio just outside of Nashville at Ramsey Solution Studios. If you haven't heard about Dave Ramsey, you need to know about him. He is a wildly popular radio personality. The Dave Ramsey Show, you've written seven bestsellers. You built an empire by helping people get out of debt, mm-hmm. um, view their money responsibly, mm-hmm. give generously. Mm-hmm. And I know that my family, we've been big fans of you for a very long time. Well, I'm honored. Thanks. I want you to tell people what it is that you do for those that aren't familiar with you. Well, our, our organization nowadays is called Ramsey Solutions. And um, basically, we produce trusted content, we call it, in several spaces, the career space, the money space, the leadership space, personal development space. Uh, it grew up under what you're talking about, me teaching people on, on the Dave Ramsey Show um, uh, about how to get out of debt so that they can build wealth and live their dreams and be outrageously generous. And uh, so it grew up under that, me teaching folks how to transform their lives in that area. Mm-hmm. And um, and now we've got Ramsey personalities here. There's six of us that, that speak and teach and write books and so forth. And um, that's the, the succession plan, if you will, or the, the way to get to more folks than I can get to by myself. Um, and so within that context, obviously, we're, uh, you know, we've got a huge curriculum, uh, a lot of broadcast things and podcast things going on in, in all of these different areas. And so there's about 800 of us on the team right now. We're doing a whole bunch of stuff in all of those spaces. You just said that so ho-hum. Oh, about 800 of us. No, it's, it, it's kind of scary. It's, it, but it all started really with, from what I read, it all started from a card table in your living room. Exactly. And after failure, you oh. were a millionaire at 26 years old mm-hmm. and you lost it all. Yep. And then you built this multi-million dollar empire. How did you come back from from filing bankruptcy and from failure? Yeah, it was for us, it wasn't just failure. It was epic failure. <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> it was like an atomic bomb was dropped oh. on our lives. Because, you know, Sharon and I, we've been married 37 years. And so we started off broke and we didn't have anything. And um, I started after a couple jobs, uh, ended up started buying and selling real estate. I grew up in the real estate business. Mom and daddy were in the business. And like you said, I built a portfolio of real estate from nothing. By the time I was 26, we had a, about $4 million worth. And we're making a couple of hundred thousand a year. Which in the neighborhood I grew up in, we called that rich. Um, That's was, rich was, in anybody's it neighborhood. It was pretty sweet. We were having a blast. But I'd done a lot of stupid stuff and um, like borrowed too much money. And the bank got sold to another bank and called our notes. And we spent the next two and a half years of our life going through that epic crash of losing everything and starting over. And so with a brand new baby and a toddler and a marriage hanging on by our thread, um, we got the opportunity to start over. From a faith perspective, I do everything backwards. I didn't grow up in church or, you know, in a place where we talked about faith Mm -hmm. much. And so I actually met God as a young adult on the way up when I was making that first fortune. Uh, But in losing it all, I got to know him on the way down. So you you build it all back up, but you had to lose it all first. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And what I love about your principles, though, Dave, is that you really focus on generosity, mm-hmm. getting out of debt. But you just mentioned it. What kind of role do you think faith plays in being a good steward of your money? Well, your worldview, uh, whether you don't have faith, uh, that's a worldview, or you've got one of the various religions, um, Christian included, affects your decision making because it's your belief paradigm. And so based on that, I'm going to make decisions. And, um, you know, we hear this thing all the time when a public figure crashes. Oh, well, he made bad decisions. No, he didn't make bad decisions. He had bad beliefs mm-hmm. that caused him to think that that was possibly on some planet going to be okay. Right. To treat that person that way and it wasn't going to come out. I mean, come on. You know? And so they had a bad belief system. It was arrogance that led them to believe they were bigger than everybody else. They could get away with crap. I don't Whatever it is, you know. And so your belief system leads to that. And so I'm sometimes still criticized by saying, oh, damn, I don't like you mixing all your Christian stuff into your money. I'd listen to you more if you just didn't do that Christian stuff. But you can't separate the two. Well, I can't. It's like saying, you know, it's like, it's like saying, I don't have a Chevrolet truck, but it's not Chevrolet. You know, I just can't do that. It's who we are. And here's the thing, though. Because your belief system uh, I, I think I would be teaching you, I really honestly believe I'd be teaching you inaccurately if I didn't teach you based on what I know to be truth. And it's not, so you can't separate your religion from your marriage. It affects how you treat each other when you're married. You can't sec- separate your faith walk from how you treat your kids. Right. Because it affects how you treat your kids. It, it informs how you raise kids. It informs how you are a leader. They're not mutually exclusive. They can't be. Right. So if you if you truly, you know, believe as an atheist or an agnostic, then that's going to inform how you lead people. It's going to inform how you handle money. Your belief system does that. So to leave it out of the discussion of personal finance, it would be an incomplete discussion. It's mm-hmm. intellectually un it's intellectually insincere. Right. You what's unique about your journey is you identify as Christian, correct? Absolutely. So what do you believe? I'm an evangelical Christian, Mm -hmm. which is not popular some days. (laughs) It does not mean ignorant redneck, by the way, but (laughs) it means I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose on the third day, and I placed my sins on him. And I believe that, and I believe then that the Bible is the Word of God, which is what the evangelical community believes as well. But you were not raised in the church. No, not at all. So were you raised, were you agnostic? Were you atheist most of your life? Or Not my parents' fault, but I would say I was hedonist. hedonist. <laughs> I was pretty much out for Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the interesting thing is, is that hedonism is where you act in your own self-interest all the time. And the weird thing about my take on Scripture and what I teach is, is that it actually ends up being in your self-interest. Generosity ends up being in your self-interest. Because generous people are grateful people and humble people, which are highly attractive. And, and so it ends up being in your self-interest mm-hmm. to be generous. Right. You know, and it's, it's not hedonism. It is different. It's based in a, a, a rooted in a real religion and a, in a real belief system. But, um, but yeah, I was just a, a little hell-raising, beer-drinking hillbilly kids when I was. Oh, you got into a little bit of trouble? Uh, more than once. Such as? <laughs> I've still got children alive. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about that? So really, what 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 marked this transformation? Here you go from self-described hedonist to becoming a man of faith. What happened? What changed? Well, um, my wife and I had never talked about 
religion or anything before we got married, and we were so dumb we didn't do real pre-marriage counseling, which you really ought to do because this stuff would come out. Mm-hmm. And um, if we didn't talk about it, I assumed we weren't worried about it, and so I, I that was dumb. Because we were kids. We were 22 years old. So we get married and moved to Nashville. You got married at 22? Yes. And um, she um, she woke up one Sunday and remembered she was a Baptist. <laughs> and she said, we're going to church. And I said, we're not going to church. It's Sunday. I'm drinking beer and watching football. Had you had you ever been to church before that? Oh, a couple times. I grew up in Nashville. There's more Baptists there than people. So, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's a Christian, you know, so to speak. But um, so um, we had a big fight and she leaves and, you know, she's Baptist. Didn't take her long to find her tribe. They're everywhere. And so she went there. And um, then I went to a, a sales conference with this thing I was in. And a guy there started talking about how God changes the way you view relationship with people, which will change your propensity to succeed in business. That if you don't value people, you're going to treat them like a transaction and you're always going to struggle in business. But when you treat them like a relationship, like God does, then you'll succeed. And I thought, well, if it's part of the formula of success, I'm practical. I'm going to check this out. So I came home and told my wife, we're going to church. The pragmatist in you. You're like, I want to do it because I want to be successful. It started with selfish motive. And so um, Billy Graham was quoted as saying that a lot of people come to Christ on a selfish motive. So I came home and told Sharon, we're going to church. And she's like, who are you? And what have you done with my husband? Uh, (laughs) But we, we started visiting some churches. And uh, the short version of the story is we found a little church that, um, Actually, I could connect with the people there, uh, with my values and with the thing, and they were winsome, attractive, and uh, walked me in at a very young man uh, into a faith journey, into the acceptance of Christ. And it all started out of selfish motives. Sure. You wanted to be a good businessman. Yeah. I believe the guy on the stage. Yeah. I thought he's right. That guy's got credibility, and he says that's something I need to have as a part of my life. In order to succeed, I'll look into it. And then I got sucked in. And uh, by quality people, and that's generally how relationships are generally how people approach their faith. Did you feel that you had changed from the get go, or has it was it a slow evolution? Well, it was. Uh, there was so much change to do. <laughs> <laughs> it was so ugly that uh, uh, there was a there was a big change from the get go, but there was still a lot of work to do after that. So there was more than just a big change to do. So. Um, yeah, uh, Sharon would tell you today that she's really glad she's not married to her first husband. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what were some of those changes you needed to make? Um, I almost never get angry anymore. And I was a pretty angry person. Uh, and that makes you a really lousy husband and a worse father. Right. Um, and But that was from that self-centeredness and that frustration and the driving ambition. And... Uh, I'm still very passionate, and sometimes because I'm so loud and gregarious, people think I'm angry. But I'm not. I hardly ever get really angry anymore. It almost mm-hmm. never happens. Yeah. Do you think that because you found your faith later in life, you have a different perspective and a greater appreciation for it than maybe somebody who grew up in the church or they grew up going to temple? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's greater. It's different. How so? It's different because I'm, it's for me. It's not assumed. Um, if you grow up. And uh, like my kids did, or my grandkids are, uh, and, and, you know, church is part of the rhythm of your life, and God is part of the rhythm of your life. Scriptures are learning scriptures, learning to live by these, this worldview is part of the rhythm of your life, then it, it, it is assumed. And there always reaches a crisis point in faith as you reach adulthood where you have to, it has to become, your parents' faith has to become your faith. 
And so that that those kids had to have that crisis. Mm-hmm. Mine and my grandkids will have the same thing, but that's different because they've got this. They've got a foundation and they've got something to reach back to. For me, it was all new. It was like I had discovered, you know, uh, uh, world class art for the first time, or I had discovered well written fiction for the first time, and it was beautiful. It was mm-hmm. fresh and gorgeous. And it, you know, weird thing is, it's been thirty years and it's still that way to me. Really. It still feels fresh and new. Yeah, I mean, I still find stuff in scripture, and I have like, wow. Are you there. are you in scripture daily? Uh truthfully, no. Um, I quote scripture daily because <laughs> I've got so much of it memorized. But um, and it's so it's become part of the rhythm of my teaching style and those kinds of things. Right. But so, but that doesn't count because that's not me receiving; that's me delivering. Um, so, but I. I I'm I'm in there a couple times a week, depending on what's going on and how how my schedule's doing mm-hmm. and how deep I can get. I used to read, and I generally eh, I don't do it quite as much, but I almost always read a proverb a day. There's 31 of them. If you read proverbs over and over again, you get wisdom. Sure. And so, um, and that was something I was seeking. What wisdom? Hebrew word wisdom means the art of living life well, and I wanted to live my life better. And so I needed that. That book of wisdom has been, it's been one of my favorite books. So you have a multi-million dollar empire. How do you stay grounded? I have the unbelievable benefit of having gone broke. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I'm important. And if I thought I was important, I'm married to a lady who's sure I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I've, I've surrounded myself with people who understand that there's no Superman cape around here. We've just worked hard and told the truth and love people, and there's no there's no magic sauce, and Dave hasn't got the corner on some kind of a little weird thing that's, you know, there's nothing like that. It's just a guy. I'm just working my butt off. Well, everyone around here that we've spoken to speaks so highly of you, and you've really bred generosity in your staff. I mean, everyone has been so kind and so gracious and generous, not just, it, they've been generous in spirit. Good. And their kindness, so Good. and they speak very highly of you. Well, it's so much easier to work with people like that. It is, and it's just—I mean, we've all worked in those places that aren't like that. And right. So we win best place to work every year, and those are the reasons. You That's know, great. We have a pretty low tolerance. All of us here have a pretty low tolerance for somebody deciding that they're it. If somebody thinks the mm-hmm. axis of the world runs through the top of their head, they don't fit in around here. <laughs> so you just—you just mentioned how you stay grounded, but how does your faith keep you grounded? Well, I think it reminds me um, that my Heavenly Father is absolutely crazy about me. And it's got, he's got a plan for me. How can you say that your Heavenly Father is crazy about you? Scripture is real clear on it. Mm-hmm. Plus, I've, I've experienced it. I mean, I've experienced him holding me in his hand when I was crushed. I had an unbelievable peace that passes all understanding. And I was bankrupt with two little kids. It's that, That's not even logical. Mm-hmm. That didn't make sense. Um, and it wasn't like I was lazy or it wasn't a kind of a piece, but it was this thing of, I got you. I got you. And when I run into huge obstacles, and huge is always relative. Um, I mean, when I got 80 people, obstacles are huge at one level. And now I got 800, there's obstacles that are huge at another level. I always feel like, you know, he's got you. I got you. I got your back. I got your front. I got your side. I got mm-hmm. you. And um, he he's never uh, uh, early and and seldom late. <laughs> he 
he just shows up and, and, and it, we see these weird um, intersections of things going on that when you watch them unfold and we see how the, uh, he has been, you know, how these what other people would call coincidences that have occurred in the last 25 years of building this from a card table in our living room. There's no I mean, I work really hard and I'm pretty smart. Um, there's a level I could have brought this to, but you could not explain it based on that, the, what we've been able to pull off. Mm-hmm. I mean, the level we've been able to pull it off is called blessings. And it's it's a little weird, honestly. Um, but it's so weird that to not acknowledge God's hand in it would just be, again, it would be intellectually insincere. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have moments where you question whether God exists and how do you work through those? Um. I don't now. Uh, I did when I was at the bottom. I had this piece one minute, and the next minute I'm like, yeah, if you're real, where are you? Mm-hmm. If you're real, give me a sign. Yeah, well, or <laughs> like pay the light bill because, I mean, it's getting cold in here, you know, and that kind of stuff. So there was that kind of a thing. Um, but he's not, you know, I had a Bible teacher back then when I was in that teach me. He said, you know, God's not concerned about your circumstances. He's concerned about how you react to your circumstances. He's concerned about building you, not your circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we sometimes we've done events that by the math and the profit and loss statement were complete failures. And um, I did one that we lost 278000 on um, way back many, many years ago. And it was a, a live thing. We were putting out over satellite and all this stuff. And it just bombed. It was just horrible. And, uh, I mean, and, it, and we don't borrow money, so that was a lot of money, and we didn't have a lot of money. It was like, it didn't, it didn't put us out of business, but it hurt really bad financially. And, um, you know, I still meet people a decade and a half later that say, you know, I went to that thing, and it saved my life. It's, I was getting ready to commit suicide, and you show me this. Or we were getting ready to get a divorce, and it saved our marriage. Or... You know, I was about to file bankruptcy, and I didn't have to because of that event. I'm like, where were the rest of you? Because we could have used a profit on that thing. But, you know, but it was, you know, in God's economy, he would spend some of his money for those people Mm -hmm. and send us to do it. And so we have to just step back and go, yes, sir, on our way, sir. We're going to charge the hill. Uh, We don't know how many of us are going to make it up the hill, but we're going up the hill. Yes, sir. And, uh, and. And yet, he's never been unfaithful, and this thing has grown every year, year over year. Exponentially. It has. Coming up after the break, Dave reveals just how bad things got in his marriage and what pulled them through. You have listeners of many different faiths. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I hope. Ha- you do. Uh, but how do you explain the existence of God? I I don't know if I'm enough of a theologian or a philosopher to get into that. All I know is that is my personal walk. I've seen him show up. I've seen circumstances that raise the hair on the back of your head, on the back of your neck, and you go, there's no explanation for that. It doesn't even make sense. And yet that just happened right in front of me. I've been on the air taking calls, and I suddenly knew what was going on in the person's life, and there was no reason to. As if you were prescient? Or? As, if some, as if God spoke to my mind. Really? And, and, you know, I was talking to a lady one day, and uh, she's telling me this about her boyfriend, and 
her boyfriend this and her boyfriend that. And I said, how long has she been hitting you? It got real quiet. And she waited too long to go, he's not. And I said, you just lied. We're going to get you out of there. And before I was done, the call screener had the local domestic violence shelter on the phone, and we got her out of there that day because he's going to kill her. And I don't, how did I know that? I don't know how I knew that. I was just sitting there talking to this woman, and you could just feel it somehow. You can't explain that. Yeah, certain things are Dave Ramsey is not that smart. Yeah. (laughs) But there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Oh, there is, but neither one of those were true, unless you want <laughs> to take apply. it from. A, if you want to take it from a charismatic Christian viewpoint, and say it was a word of wisdom, or you know, it was a, a, a Holy Spirit wisdom. You could say that. That, that I wouldn't argue that point too too strenuously. But I really, my point is, stuff has happened around here that I can't take credit for, and so I, that, in my personal experience, I can say I've experienced God. Yeah, you were talking about your faith a while back, and you said one of the things on a real basic level was that I started just realizing by intelligent observation that order doesn't come from chaos. That's a physics principle. Chaos comes from order. And then you talked about an analogy that one of your friends, who's a rabbi. Mm-hmm. Um, rabbi Daniel Lappin. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us about that analogy? Because I loved it. Sure. If I can remember it, it's the, if you put uh, marbles in a jar, is that it? Yeah. Yep. And they're two different colors of marbles. Um and, and you shake them up and they, you know, you get the blue and the white marbles all intertwined. You can shake that jar forever and they will never be separated again. Right. Those, there's no, no number of random shakes you can do that it will ever get you to where those are separated. So for there to be order uh, has to be a created order. Um, otherwise, you just believe in chaos, um, which, you know, some folks that are atheists that are very intelligent see chaos all around them. And I see chaos, too, but I see more order than chaos. And I see cause and effect. I see when you plant things, things grow. And when you don't plant things, things don't grow. And what you plant generally grows. And so these are these are cause and effect things that are signs of an ordered universe. Could you ever accept the possibility that there is no God? I guess I could. I don't have any reason to. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of personal anecdotal evidence in 30 years of walking with him that he's shown up time and time again, that just, um, I'm just real solid in it. I'm just real comfortable in my own skin in that regard. But if somebody doesn't believe that, I'm not mad at them. Right. I mean, that's just me and my walk. I, I, I'm real clear about that. But, um, but you know, the, the, but I've got a lot of years of what I would call faith builders where, you know, you're right at the edge of the cliff and you don't fall off and something comes along and mm-hmm. pushes you back. And it's, um, it's, uh, uh, there's just too much evidence in the experiences uh, for me to have anything other than a real solid, comfortable faith. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned one of your dear friends is as rabbi. How important do you think it is, especially in this climate that we're in, to have people of, of different faiths that you can sit down and have a conversation with and learn from? It's absolutely vital. It's absolutely vital. Um, uh, you know, because it, it's very difficult to be prejudiced against someone that you know them and so um uh you know if if you think that uh women are not capable and are a weaker sex a weaker vessel and don't hold the same uh caliber uh ability to play in say the business world then you haven't been around many women Mm -hmm. because they're out there i grew up with one my mom was a is a rock star working mom 
Uh, I've got them, ladies on my operating board here that are smarter than me and are better business acumen than me. And so if you just, if you're acquainted with that, the only way you could continue to be prejudiced would be um, that you're dumb, you know? I mean, and, and so, you know, out of our six Ramsey personalities, two are African-American and they're both absolute rock stars. They're incredible communicators and thought leaders and work ethic and so forth. So to be racist is just dumb. Mm -hmm. But the only way you do that, you can be racist or hate something that's at a distance. But if you get up close and you interact with people of different religions and, and different races and sexes and so forth, then unless you just are really dull, you're going to start to catch on that I see this, I get this. And, um, you know, my wife did a trip to Israel. We've done several trips to Israel, but she did a trip to Israel and spent the whole time with the Palestinians, which is a whole different trip to Israel. Yeah, that's a totally different perspective. uh, Yeah. Why did she want to spend her time with the Palestinians? There's a bunch of Christian Palestinians, Mm -hmm. and they've got a story. They've got a narrative that's completely different, a different view on that whole global meltdown Mm -hmm. there that's called Israel. And um, I love Israel. I love the Jewish people. I'm a big supporter of Israel, the nation. Uh, And But she came home with some stories that are like, you know, it's a different thing. There's a whole other side to this coin. And it didn't didn't change our politics. It didn't change our worldview on something. But when you sit down, you eat in somebody's house, it changes. You listened. Well, you you, you got a new friend. You showed up. You have a new friend. Mm-hmm. You have a new friend, and, and how can you not be somewhat for your friend, even if you disagree with something they say? Right. When you look back at the absolute lowest moment of your life, what was it? Hmm. It would have to be the bankruptcy. I mean, mm-hmm. it would have to be going through losing everything, because everything was so low at that point. Um, my poor wife thought she married Sir Galahad. Turns out it was Goober. So, I mean, she, she's often laughed and said, I would have left, but we didn't have a car. And so, <laughs> I mean, it, things were that bad. Yeah, was, you almost split up. Yeah. I mean, we really were about to kill each other. Um, but um, she's from Hills of East Tennessee, frying pan throwing. There's an Olympic event. So, I mean, we were at each other. But, it, you know, again, um, we just held on and gripped through the storm. And that was faith. Um all joking aside and all, all one-liners aside. Uh, but then five years later, all those scars rose to the surface, and we got to spend some time with a marriage counselor. But it took that long to just get to where we could breathe and eat. And then by the time we relaxed a little bit, we went, you know, I really remember how mad I was at you, and I'm mad again now. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, it's been a journey. It's a process. But, yeah, that's that's probably our largest defining moment where we were the where I was the most scared the most uh faithless the um what were you scared of eating taking care of my babies mm-hmm. and providing for my wife just simply putting food on the table was a struggle yeah yeah i mean we didn't have any money uh one year i made 200,000 the next year i made 6,000 taxable income so wow. spent the whole year selling everything trying to pay off all the debt because they were crashing in on us and I was trying to do the right thing. But, you know, the lights are getting cut off. The water's getting cut off. The roof is leaking. And um, I mean, we didn't go without a meal, but uh, it was close. I mean, we were having, we're scared. We didn't know where it was going to come from. When they're, when they cut the lights off, it's, that's a big deal, you know? 
when they take the when they don't just cut the water off, but they take the meter out, so you can't reconnect it yourself. Did if they take the meter out? Absolutely. And the lights were off for how long? Uh, they were never at the same time because I managed to keep one of them back or forth. But you either had yeah. lights or water. Yeah, I mean it wasn't day, it wasn't weeks or something like that. But there were days that that um, that, that we were there. That's right where we were. I mean, that's we, scary. And you still felt God in in the midst of that intermittently. Um, mm-hmm. I went from sheer terror to sheer exhilaration every day. You know, <laughs> the highs and lows. Yeah. Where do you think? And you, you like you said, you became a believer in your twenties. If you had to answer this question, where do you think you'd be without your faith? How would you answer that? Sad. Why? Because, because I think I would have caught what I was chasing. And it, what were you chasing? Wealth and fame. And I think I would have caught that. And it would have been, you know, it's that dog chasing a car. Catches it. What's he going to do with it? <laughs> we can't mm-hmm. drive. <laughs> now what do I do with it? Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, I would have got there and I would have arrived. And I went, I went this, isn't, this doesn't do it. If you eat enough lobster, it tastes like soap. I mean, you, there's not enough. There's not I a don't nice... know that lobster could ever taste like soap. <laughs> yeah, if you eat enough of it, it will. Really? Yeah. Not, I mean, if you, not if you drench it in butter. The butter. Now, the butter, the butter, I'm with you. But, yeah. <laughs> there you go. But, but I mean, there, there's not enough cars or enough houses. And we all know this, you know, as an intellectual exercise. No one will ever say money will make you happy, but a whole bunch of people act like it's going to. Everybody does. And, uh, and I, was, I was the chief among them. And the, the irony is, is that I have a whole bunch of money now and it's irrelevant. Um, you know, all I am is a manager now. I just manage money for God. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't really feel any different other than I'm not scared about the water being cut off. But I mean, it's, I don't have any, you know, I don't have any, like somehow I've got a different, uh, superpower that I didn't have or something. It's just, I've got some more stuff to do. You know. You say you, and you do, you have a multi-million dollar empire. You just said, I manage money for God. So you don't even view it as your money. It's not. Not if you believe what I believe. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm a evangelical. I'm a steward. I'm a manager. And so, um, and that's not the tithe or 10%. That's the whole thing. And, um, and the power or the notoriety or the fame or whatever you want to call this that's landed on us as well with 15 million listeners a week, you know, that there's a lot of power in that too, but that power is not mine. I have to be really careful how I use that because it's not mine. And I'd be careful how I use that money because it's not mine. You know where it comes Um, from. And so I'm supposed to use it this way. You you want me to do that? Okay. You want me to do that? Mm -hmm. Uh, The irony is there's a whole bunch of people thinking that I'm supposed to give it all away, which if I am, then he needs to tell me, but I'm not going to listen to you. You don't get to tell me that because you're not God. How do you determine how much you tithe and how much you give to the church? Is that, that's a personal decision. I give a 10th of my income. My gross, gross or net? Gross before taxes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <laughs> one year it wasn't much, but I've done it every year. Even and, when uh, you went, you yeah, were making $6,000 so, uh, a year. And I've heard people say, if you tithe, you, you know, that God will prosper you. Not always. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proof of that. But over time he has. Uh, but I don't do it for that reason, obviously. That's a baseline for our generosity. And then everything above that is just offerings, and that's just, um, we have a family foundation that we dump a percentage of our income beyond the tithe into every year that we're able to give a good deal of money to through. Uh, My oldest daughter manages that. She's the ministry-minded of my three kids, and uh, very, very good at it. And uh, so we find ministries that that we feel like God is leading us to help with that, and we... uh, uh, we do our giving through that mechanism, but that way we can be wise managers and wise donors, not just um, impulsive and 
emotional, although we sometimes do some impulsive and emotional things, but we think that's God when we do. Mm. It's also part of being human and then realizing your mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, give me a word to describe your faith. I don't know. Uh, a word. Or two. <laughs> Worldview. I don't, uh, um, it's, it's, uh, it'd have to be a paragraph, but I mean, it, it, it is the center of um, who I am. And so it's, it's how I make all my decisions. It's how I, um, what I measure um, behaviors against mine and others. Um, and, and so it's all encompassing in that regard. Uh, but it's not necessary, but, but hopefully it's not on my sleeve uh, to where it's uh, off-putting. It is for some folk, but I get that. I get the Twitter uh, mentions. Just but, don't check Twitter ever. Yeah, I just stay off of it. But I mean, it's 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 pretty much devolved down into trolls now. But the uh, but the but I mean, there's I get that if um, the pre-Christ Dave would have listened to this radio show, he might have been off-put by it. I get that. When all is said and done, what do you want people to say about you? <laughs> I don't think it matters much. <laughs> he was the best grandpa ever. <laughs> what do you want God to say about you? Same thing. <laughs> uh, whatever I do, I do wide open. That's for sure. I don't do anything halfway. And uh, even when I'm wrong, I am colossally wrong. And so uh, that's probably what will end up on my tombstone, even if it's against my uh, preference, but uh, it's colossally wide, wrong. Yeah, no, just wide open. Just wide you know, open. T- two speeds, asleep and wide open. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad way. All right, it's been a pleasure, and I just need some affirmation that you're going to go through my finances and make sure we're doing everything right. Right, a personal <laughs> consultation here. No trouble down the road. We got that. I you love got it. it. Thank you. It's, it's been a joy. Be, Thanks for letting you. us borrow your studios, by the way. <laughs> hey, I want to have you on the podcast, and can I borrow your studio? It's all good. Made it easy for me. I'm glad. Thanks all for right. coming by. Thank you. That's another episode of Journeys of Faith in the Books. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't subscribed, we encourage you to do so and give us a rating. If there's someone that you want on the podcast, all you have to do is tweet me, at Paula Ferris. Next week's guest is PBS anchor Amna Navaz. And I'd be remiss if I didn't send a big thanks to the team here at ABC Radio. Susie Liu, Joyce Alcantara, Brianna Montalvo, Lewis Millman, Mike Dubusky, Josh Cohan, and Andrew Cow. We'll see you next week on Journeys of Faith.